Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to the Summer Series, Episode 3, where you have a very special guest. I do have a very special guest. Probably the most handsome guest I've had on the Thank you show. very much. Yeah, this was the episode we recorded just before we started the book tour, I think. Yes, it was Wasn't actually. It? I remember distinctly standing uh, up in the in the bedroom there recording it. Yeah. So this is an, an interview with you. Mm-hmm. And after many episodes, many, 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 many episodes of the podcast where I spoke about my journey, uh, I thought it was well overdue to actually ask you some questions. So, and that's sort of how we started it. And then it, it became a very deep conversation, didn't it? It, got, it did. Um, kind of raw and uncomfortable, but also comforting. Yeah. And it's a conversation we've had before, but it was so nice to be able to finally put my, I don't know, my journey yeah. as well. And because it, it, previously it just never felt the right thing to do, but it really, really helped me. And I, I've said to you recently, I was like, finally, I can, hmm. I feel like I'm being myself, you know, like yeah, I'm, I did say that. I've, I don't know, found my way almost. Yeah. And I think that I, just takes Maybe time. I finally caught up with you. Maybe. And you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> I would never say such a How thing. How many hats did you buy on the book tour then? <laughs> Moving on. Uh, this was actually surprising to me how popular this episode was because we recorded it and we're like, do we even release this? Our best episodes are the ones we always say that Feel to. nervous about. Yeah. And this was the one that I continue to, to get positive feedback about. But on the book tour, how many people mm. spoke to us about this episode? Yeah. Like countless. Yeah. And I think the thing, the reason that I've included it in the summer series is because of that. There are so many people who listen to the, the podcast regularly but haven't ever been able to get maybe a partner or a friend or a parent on board. Mm-hmm. And that was the episode that people shared with, Maybe they're they're hesitant mm. partners or mm. you know friends or family, because you so honestly explained what it was like working in corporate and mm. living completely counter to this idea of slow for a number of years and the strain that that put on us, but also the I guess the self realization that you needed to go through yeah. in order to to choose or not choose to change absolutely. Uh, so that's really why I've got it here because I, I mean if anyone missed it during the year I'd love for it to be the beginning of a conversation between yeah. you and a loved one and why we've chosen it for the summer series is because it's the beginning of the year it's like, exactly you know, it's a great time to take great time to take the time and also to reset or you know prioritize things for the year yeah and revisit it if you have listened to it because mm. there's I mean I think there's layers of, yeah. of information and stories that you share yeah we didn't know it at the time but it, it has been yeah, a really important episode for us both and will inform a lot of decisions we make. Going in the forward, well, exactly. And yeah. this year is going to be filled with them, I think. Absolutely. So, this is episode uh, 242. So, the show notes are at slowyourhome.com slash 242. Now, you wanted to talk about something that you mentioned right at the back end of last year, the last episode that we recorded back in December, our sort of Festivus, yeah. Festivus for the, for the rest, rest of us episode. 
Uh, I did. So if you listen to that episode, you probably heard me talk about 365 days of slow, which is something completely brand new that I'm trying for 2019. And it's essentially a daily experiment in slow because one of the things that has come up for me time and time again over the over 2018 particularly was this question of how can I find time for slow living or slowing down when life is so busy? And my point of view is that everyone can find five minutes, truly everyone. And I practiced this on the book tour to see whether it was possible. And I could even on the most hectic of days, I could find five minutes to actively and intentionally choose to slow down. Yeah. It looked different every day, but it was possible. So that's what 365 days of slow is all about. Essentially, it's an encouragement to commit to five minutes of slow every day. And that's it. It's very simple. It's kind of taking the idea of the experiment and stretching it out over a year because I'd love for people to take part in it and really gauge how that practice of slowing down every day impacts them over a longer period of time. So if you are on the slow post email list, you've already received an email about this and yep. you've already got a download that comes with it. But if you're interested in taking part, head over to slowyourhome.com slash 365 days, 365 days, and you can find a download there that is part um, a list of suggestions, ways that you can spend those five minutes of slow. And I've also created this kind of dorky little um, progress tracker where you color in like the petal of a flower every day. And over a period of a year, hopefully you'll have this colorful, beautiful picture. Uh, so that's not going to be everyone's jam, but I thought people who like to see their progress. Yeah. That's a nice thing to do. Bring it to life. So we're also encouraging people to share images of that on Instagram if they want to. Hashtag 365 days of slow. Uh, but it's obviously not at all what it's about. It's just if you find something pretty and you want to share, feel free to share. I'll be sharing something probably once a week that I'll be doing. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. In the meantime, though. I hope you enjoy this revisit of one of my favorite episodes of 2018. Oh, shucks. So, Ben, how are you? Well, how are you, Brooke? I'm very well. Now, Probably the, the most awkward intro we've ever done. Yep. Yep. Nailing it. Yeah, exactly. This interview has actually come about at the request of quite a few listeners because, as someone put it very nicely, we've heard heaps about your story, Brooke. What about Ben? So, subtext. We're Not bored, as interesting. We're bored of your story. <laughs> Let's get a new one. But I actually, as I said in the intro, I really do think that this is something that will prove to be relevant to a lot of people uh, and also just plumbing the depths of a different experience. Yeah, I hope so because it has been a different experience. I feel, uh, yeah. I feel like TV shows that you used to get in the Australia compared to when it was released in the US, I'm like a couple of years behind you. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that, but, yeah, that fits. Yeah. I haven't felt like I've, I felt like I've been part of the journey since the start, but 
I think how I'm feeling and how I'm dealing with it is a lot slower. It's on brand at least. Exactly. So going straight to that point, everyone knows if you've listened to the show for more than a few episodes, what the basic story of mine was seven or eight years ago, overwhelmed, stressed Mm -hmm. at home with the kids running a business, postnatal depression after our second baby was born and the rest was history, I guess. But can you paint a picture of what, I know what it was like, but can you paint a picture for people what your life and experience was like eight years ago? I'll try because a lot like you, I've blocked out a lot (laughs) of that time. Yeah. It was a really difficult time. It was just so, and like I think a lot of people do when you have young kids is your life changes dramatically. Mm. Okay. So I just thought how we were feeling, how we were operating as a couple and as a family, it was normal. There were a lot of other people like us. I don't think I appreciated just how bad it was. And bad, I, you know, we had some wonderful times back then, but how how bad your depression was mm-hmm. and how much better we could have been doing. But, you know, basically eight years ago, I'll just paint a picture of what I was doing, started or had started my professional career in the public relations, marketing, communication space, working for a number of financial services companies, member bodies. I won't even go into how boring all that sounds. But I was on a career trajectory and I always felt like it was what I wanted to do and I felt like I was pretty good at it. So I wanted to just dive into my career, put my whole self in it, my whole identity, which I'll talk about a little bit later, was tied up in my corporate career and, yeah, I just wanted to one day be CEO of a company. Where'd that come from? Did you, growing up as a kid, did you want to be a CEO? Like, did you want to go and work in the city wearing a suit? I always, I think, yes. Aspirationally, I I wanted to be seen as uh, successful. And that's to you what that looked like. And that brand was successful to me. Right. I always had my self-doubts, though. I always thought I wasn't good enough for that. So I tried extra hard. Mm. I don't think... I was particularly bright at school. I didn't think I performed exceptionally well at all, but I had a motivation that was driven by my family circumstances, what I wanted to to aspire to be. I always thought successful was just earning as much as money, money as possible. Mm-hmm. I, But I always had that self-doubt as you're not really good enough, Ben, because you're not really the smartest and you're not really worldly the most worldly person and the most intelligent and didn't always have the right things to say so I I guess it was driven by a couple of things yeah what I aspire to do and what I was thought was the brand of successful that I was chasing but also I think a deep sense of insecurity about whether I was good enough to do it were you happy back then if like it's a hard question to answer, actually, mm. because well, I'd I'd married a beautiful woman, and two years <laughs> two years later, I'm trying to be serious. Here. Sorry, two years later, uh, we'd had our first child, and 
you know, we had a bit of trauma back then. Mm-hmm. We moved from the city because we both got assaulted in a matter of a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter found out that you were pregnant. So we were, that was a very straining period of time. You know, I don't think we spent enough time um, like recovering from that, to be honest. It well, was so it felt traumatic. like we just immediately just picked up our stuff and ran away, which I think was pretty normal reaction, really. Yeah. I, have we spoken about that on the show? Not I don't sure. know if we have. But I need to say that, yeah, we were just both, uh, yeah, assaulted. You were assaulted. I was uh, assaulted. And yeah. So you were, like, beaten up quite severely. Yeah, yeah, beaten up. And and then I found out I was pregnant, pregnant. just after that. And yeah. then maybe I was six or eight weeks pregnant hmm. and got dragged down an alleyway on my way to to work. To work. So friggin' terrifying. Yeah. And so, we left. Like we, we just left. Exactly. So we we knew that that was not the place we wanted to raise a family. So we that's when we headed back out to the Blue Mountains mm. where we and I, I remember that particular time we were in the city, everything was hard. Mm. You know, if there was one moment in our time together where it was about keeping up with the Joneses was that time. We'd both started pretty junior in our careers so not earning a lot of money we had a huge mortgage yeah. i remember things were just massively tight we had all our money in envelopes oh, and whatever the we envelope had system. yeah whatever we had in that envelope for, per fortnight was what we had to spend on groceries and what we had to spend on extras and birthday presents and petrol and yeah. all that stuff so reflecting back on that time i i feel like i was felt trapped even back then in, right. in terms of my career, not in terms of anything else, but just in terms of my career as in, oh, man, like you have to go out and earn more money mm. to not only survive but to thrive. Keep up. Yeah. Mm. But also convince other people that we're keeping up, I think, for mm. me. And looking back for me, that, I mean, that that as far as conventional wisdom goes, that's like that should have been the lightest time in life. We were newly married. Mm. Living, you know, a cosmopolitan kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, no huge responsibilities. As you said, we we're both junior in our work. and mm. uh, But it felt heavy, all of it. Really heavy. Constantly. Yeah. And I think that looking back, for me certainly, I was absolutely suffering depression already by then and mm-hmm. had been since I was a teenager. Undiagnosed. Mm. Didn't know what I didn't know, so that was normal. And there was a heaviness to that. But there was, like you said, a heaviness to living on the edge of our means. Yes. Slightly beyond the edge of our means probably. Yeah. And even back then, because we, we travelled together when we finished uni. We had a year where we just backpacked and that's when we first came to Canada and mm-hmm. kind of got a glimpse of what life could look like if we lived it according to our own passions and whims. And then we came back and tried to grow up. You know, yeah. and things got heavy. Yeah. And I wonder if even then we knew that perhaps there was some other way. But, of course, that wasn't a conversation that anyone ever had because that's what you did. Exactly. You know, you had your few wild years and you come back and you settle down. You mm. may get married or you may focus on your career. You may have kids. You may buy a house, whatever. But that's where we were. Mm. It's a funny time, just reflecting on it, if we never chose to to pivot and change our lifestyle and change our the way mm. we viewed success and, and what we wanted to do. Imagine just 
still living like that. We would probably reflect on the the time of year when we were first married, living in the city as as wonderful. Maybe. I, I, I truly believe that. It's only because we've come out the other side that we can see what it was like, what it was really like, hmm. what we were really doing. Maybe. I'm oh, glad we made the shift though. Yeah, absolutely. no. Totally. Absolutely. So the shift happened. So what that meant was we'd moved back out uh, to the Blue Mountains where we grew up. We've got a, a great families out there, great, our great families. <laughs> Both our families are out there who provide, yeah, wonderful support. Yeah, and just having your people around. It's beautiful. And I felt like, you know, the, the change was good initially. But your depression never went away. Mm-mm. In fact, it got darker as we had our second child. Yeah, it got much worse. And so what that meant for me was I was travelling into the city and I'm, we know, I know I've spoken about this at length, about the amount of times I used to I have to commute and, and not be able to see the kids, which mm. left you in, a, in the worst position of having to basically parent during the week on your own. Mm-hmm. And... We both, I think, resented one another hmm. at that time. I resented not being able to be at home and you resented having to to be at home all the time. Yeah, and being we were needed. both shouldering certain responsibilities on our own. And we had massive, massive arguments about that. Oh, it's horrible. And because we couldn't, we were so on this hamster wheel, we, we failed to empathise with one another about how each was was dealing. I think look, I and think we tried. I think you know, obviously, but I I don't think we tried hard enough initially and I I always feel bad about how long your depression went on for. Mm-hmm. About half, you know, knowing how much you suffered and I could have done something earlier, but I was stu- I was, my single overarching objective during that time was to earn more money, <laughs> to have let you be able to to be at home because that's where you wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you didn't want to have to to work and yeah. Well, once I closed the jewelry business down, which was going to be my work, like yeah. the plan was finish up in my pre kid career mm-hmm. when our first baby was born, and then this side business that I'd been pursuing, jewelry making, was going to become a full time income mm-hmm. that I could do from home in like the twelve hours of free time a day that I thought I was going to have when we had two babies. Yeah, <laughs> like a crazy person. And that became another resentment, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Not between you and I, but just between me and that thing. The universe. Yeah. Yeah. I was desperately angry mm. about it all. Now, I'm so sorry to everyone listening to this. If this is making you anxious, this conversation, I feel like I, I'm just listening to us. And if people are going through stuff, I don't want this to feel too raw for you. Yeah. That's all. Like this the, the the sto- ending's happy. The story ends pretty well. Yeah. But I, I do think it's important to to delve sometimes because one of the things that, that bothers me about the podcast is that it's it's snippets, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to make a many years process seem easy yeah. when you talk about it in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. There's no way of making it clear how long it went on for or how difficult it was yeah. because we talk in snippets and that's despite our best efforts. Yeah, exactly. So I do think it's important to yeah. have these kind of conversations and to too. dive into how unhappy we were and and why things got to a point where they changed. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that. So I was diagnosed with my depression and it was really quite terrifying. It was full on. Very, mm-hmm. like a very 
difficult, mm -hmm. traumatizing time. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I discovered via my psychiatrist this idea of doing less, simplifying, which led me to the act of decluttering because I did not have the capacity to look inward and deal with some of the mental stuff that was going on. I was doing enough of that with my psychiatrist. But what I could do was declutter. So I started. And that was kind of where the, the whole process kicked off. What did you think? You joined a cult. <laughs> you had joined a cult and we were going to be living on some, some commune within the year. Right. Really? Seriously. Okay. I, I know, why? Uh, and I'm why? not joking. No, I know you're not. But why? Why exactly? Why wasn't it... It was, so was it so far removed right. to what we valued? What we thought we valued. Yeah. Well, no, but what we valued before that. I mean, whether real or perceived, we valued it. Yeah. And that's what, that's the lifestyle that, you know, we were living beyond our means. Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with yeah. the Joneses. And then all of a sudden you do a 180. <laughs> and so I felt like you joined a cult and I felt like, I felt very confused. Right. But what I what I knew is that, you were shifting in your the way you viewed things and you were shifting for the better you were no longer in these really dark places where you would you would rage mm -hmm. and you would lose it really easily and we would have really hurtful conversations so, but you know from that time of being diagnosed and working through it the the effects started almost instantly and it, over time Obviously, it gets better and better. So I thought, hey, if this is helping, if I have to wear an orange garment, no shoes, give all my earthly possessions to a, a leader, then that's what we'll do because it was in your best interest. And at that time, my two priorities was work, I think, and I was going to say not in this order, but mm -hmm. sometimes it yeah, it probably felt like in this order. Work and my career and you and your health mm -hmm. and the health of our family. How do you feel when you say that, that you think that maybe you put work ahead of Ashamed and, yeah, like I felt like I wasn't a whole person back mm. then. I was like a bit of a robot. You know what I had on... Numerous occasions I, I used to think about what it's going to be like 10, 20 years from now and mm. I saw myself and I didn't like what I saw because you'd, I'd get home after a, a day a day in the office and be totally stressed on the train and then I had a bit of sanctuary when we, I was coming home and if I was lucky I may see the kids if they were still awake but often not and then We'd sit down in front of the TV. I'd eat my t I'd eat my dinner in front of the TV, which I'm ashamed of to even say now. And mm. we would we would hardly say a word to one another mm. for, and that felt like it happened for a number of years. So sad, eh? Well, it was just the reality, and it's what we prioritised at that time. And I think it didn't take long until we'd realised that our priorities were pretty messed up. Mm. And there was one instance, well, to paint a picture, you were on this journey and I wasn't, I can say, in the first 12 months, I wasn't on this journey. You were happy for me to be though? Happy for you to be. Yeah. And, you and you know, you were decluttering. I loved that. You know, I'm not 
a sentimental person and I've spoken about that before, about things and about stuff. They've never been a priority for me. It doesn't define me. But what defined me was my career and I'd put all my identity in my career. I didn't didn't have any hobbies. Hmm. I didn't do anything else with my time other than work and think about work and think about what my next job would be and how could I position myself to get that next job. And, you know, anyway, it's tiring thinking about it now. And I, one day, probably about 12 or 12 to 18 months after you've been diagnosed and some real changes. And I think the real changes happen after 12 months. Yeah, We've said that before. This is, this is slow for a reason. And I remember seeing you and how happy and light you were and you were being a wonderful mother and I felt like I hadn't shifted at all and that I and we were as a result growing mm. apart in a big way. I remember having a conversation with my good friend Andy about it and he said, wow, like Brooks made all these changes and she's doing what you're doing and you're doing the opposite. I mean, we didn't say it exactly like that and I was like, I think you're right. And he said, that's going to come to a head. He said, didn't say it exactly like he's, that. He's too polite to very say much, it like very, that. Very polite. I'm not. So he said it much more politely than that. And that was a, I knew it in my back of my head. When he said it, I was like, yep, yep, this is going to go two ways. Mm. It's I, I get on board the train mm-hmm. or I'm left at the station and I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> so that's that's how it felt. So can I just just share this? I guess this is my light bulb moment, which happened on the train, and I think I may have spoken about it before, but I was on the train working, God knows what, you know, 6.30 in the morning, starting to work on my laptop on the train, and I kept on thinking about this is your life. You know, this is, I couldn't see any end. I was so just so up in my head about this is what I had to do. And I had a, I, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I, I, there was massive pains in my chest and I couldn't breathe properly and I, was, I just started to sweat instantaneously. And luckily the train pulled up to a station I could get off and I was helped by a few people. But that was, that was crazy. Mm. I was like 29, 30. And that ended up being... A panic attack. Huge panic attack. Mm. And you'd had a few, but that was by far the biggest. Huge, yeah. 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 So I remember you went and spoke to our GP about it and he had some actually very helpful advice about taking time every day to not be working. Like don't look at the three hours of commuting time every day as an opportunity to extend your work day. Instead, listen to some music. Instead, do some meditation do some breathing exercises. He was basically telling me to slow down. Yeah. He was basically if only you lived with someone who was, was talking about this stuff. Me to do what essentially you were doing already. Mm-hmm. And that was the light bulb moment. That for me triggered. <laughs> well, look. Sorry. What? <laughs> I just love that you <laughs> That was the moment I realized that there was this other way. <laughs> I'm over there going Hi. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, you'd need to hear it from the most unlikely part. I agree. It's just it just makes me laugh. Yeah. So that was that was the moment for me, and that and from that moment, I started 
to get on board. I started to ask you more questions. I started to maybe read a little bit of the material that you've read Mm -hmm. and I became more into what you were doing too Mm -hmm. and and how you were trying to help people. And I was like, okay, I might might just piggyback on this and, and hopefully learn a few things. And I think it was around this time that I posed a question to you about the idea of becoming self-employed and creating a just a different way of making an income and a different way of living. And I remember your immediate reaction was that will literally never happen. Yeah, because that's where my self-doubt yeah. was, was coming because all of a sudden now I felt like my identity was changing from that point on. So my priority went from... 100% work to you need to back off a little bit and and just be a little bit more you know about self-care. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about well what else is there is out there and what else could I do? What happened was we had an a huge amount of deep meaningful conversations about what we wanted to do with our lives. Mm. You were making massive progress and you were shifting in a huge way and I started to, you know, I, I'm, I'm the type of learner that has to see people go through it. You can't tell me. I need to, like, witness it. So that's what I was seeing. Mm. And I felt like I had an identity crisis. I really did. A couple of, you know, four or five years ago, massive identity crisis about who I was, what I wanted to do, people that I respected, you know, it, just in the professional life, changed mm. and I saw through things and became more cynical about things. And anyway, a, a lot of things shifted and we had a, a huge conversation about you said, what is your pain point? What is what is the thing that would change you for the better? And it was not having to, to work like I was to be able to maintain a lifestyle that we no longer valued. Mm. Yeah, because at some point it did become excess to needs, didn't it? Yeah. And that, I think that might have played into that shift as well. Well, what is this for, really? And that's when we started looking at travelling more and kind of aligning what we did with our with the income that you were making and, like, making it worth something more than just stuff. Yeah. Because stuff no longer held any kind of interest to either of us, which was wonderful. Yeah. But, okay, so what do we want to do now? And I really do think that travel, every time you and I – went away, even if it was just camping for a week. We'd make huge decisions. Always. About, yeah. Always. The car trips to, you know, a destination or a late night conversation over a glass of wine or an early morning conversation, New Year's Day, which is oh. when we decided to make the call yeah. for you to quit your job. Yeah. There's, we were away again. And I, I feel like for us it's been a gradual acknowledgement that removing ourselves from that hamster wheel mm-hmm often has really positive benefits in terms of headspace and the ability to sit and have a conversation. I mean, there's no, if anyone's listening and they want like a surefire way to like find a shortcut through all this, there isn't one. Mm. It's constantly learning and evolving and being open and having difficult conversations and being prepared to hear an answer that you may not want to hear. Like when I first posed the idea to you of becoming self-employed and us redefining life 
It was probably five years ago. It was. And for the first year, I was like, never going like to happen. Like a dead set yeah. no. And it's that is not the answer I wanted to hear. It's it's impossible. Yeah, it was. And that's what you, you thought. It was impossible. That is not what I wanted to hear, but I needed to be prepared to hear it. Uh-huh. And then to be prepared to step back and let things be for a while and then revisit it when something else shifts or mm. when we go away. Mm. And then I think it was probably about a year of you just just kind of marinating that yeah. idea. And I have I have conversations with people that I trusted and I'd had conversations with ex-colleagues and they'd say, yeah, you can do it. Mm. And by that stage, the podcasting stuff started to kick off and I thought, well, maybe we could do something in that space. <laughs> and so I'd have conversations in that regard. But it's amazing when you first think about going, you know, changing something like your career, uh, your reality is nothing like how you imagined it. No, exactly. Because I remember we wrote a business plan and it was going to be kind of half uh, half your mm. freelancing mm-hmm. PR work as our income and the other half was going to be podcasting. Yeah. And you may remember that we we ran Jackrabbit FM for more than a, a year, which was a, our own podcast network, by far <laughs> the most stressful time. Yeah. But also wonderful because what we were doing with that experimentation was figuring out what we did and didn't want in life. It was literally putting a lid on life, shaking it up, opening the lid, letting it spray out and see where things landed. Mm -hmm. And it was messy and very emotional up and down and ultimately a failure, the the podcast network. Mm -hmm. But I feel so positive about that experience because we learned so much. Exactly. And then you realize that we were making things far more complicated than they needed to be. Yeah. Because what you actually had was a list of clients who wanted to work with you and were happy to be able to work with you when you were working remotely. Yep. And it was, that was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was three, only. Three and a half years ago, yeah. June of 2017 where we're away. We were camping up at Byron or in the hinterland of Byron and I got an email from my book publisher in Australia saying that the book had been sold to the States, Yeah, slowly had been sold to the States, and that kicked off a conversation about us heading off this year, 2018, spending some time in Canada, going on a book tour road trip, and that was all pie-in-the-sky stuff for about three months until we, again, shook everything up, saw where it landed, saw if it was possible you know, you know, so there's like, it's messy. Mm. It's messy. And yep. I feel like we're constantly feeling like it's two steps forward, one step back, mm-hmm. three steps sideways, mm-hmm. you know, but that's okay because we're figuring stuff out. You know, that stagnant feeling. I don't remember the last time I felt like that. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. So anyway, I feel like I'm grateful for how, open to all of this you have been because I, I used to say to you, I felt bad for you because mm. the woman that I became was not the woman that you married. Mm. That's that's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot to accept and change. And But like all powerful and healthy relationships, they do change and they change over time. They do, but not and everyone's prepared for that. Sure, yeah. But if you love someone enough and you believe in them, then, uh, yeah. So I feel like this year, this experience being away, we're five months in, Mm -hmm. 
has been very different for you than it has been for me in some ways because you are still working with clients. Your work hours are upside down. Yeah, they are. And you've had to really do a lot of self-reflection, I think, on what it means to be present Mm -hmm. and what it means to be flexible and what it means to show up in different ways schooling parenting like 24 7 mm-hmm. it's just the four of us in our bubble most yeah. of the time yeah how are you finding the juggle it's funny because starting off and and when you start your own business there's it's it's different and you can never explain it to someone because you let go of a little bit of security. You let go of security. Yeah. There's other pressures. So in some ways you have more flexibility and freedom, but other ways you're very restricted in, yes. in other areas. So you, you sort of, it's, it's, it's a shift and that takes a lot to get used to. I feel like this is an equal, equally big shift in that I've had, you have to change your work hours and like a lot has changed over the last five months, mm. it's very different working abroad as it is working close to your clients. In the same city, yeah. So there's just different challenges and it's, it's, I think it's taken a while for me to make that work. Is it harder? No, because it, it's wonderful. We can do things during the day. It just means that I have to work at night. I've never been one that liked working at night, mm. prefer to get up early, but that's what I've had to do and I've had to adapt because make, you're working Australian business hours. We exactly. just make that clear. Yeah. yeah. And and we wouldn't be here if Mm-mm. I couldn't do that. So it's, again, it's it's me being able to support the family enough for for us to grow more and experience things and just give it our, like, best shot, really. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to die wondering. Yeah. What's it like? I don't think I've ever asked you this question. So your values, your identity have shifted significantly over the past five years, like night and day. Yeah. And yet you're still working in the same industry, Mm -hmm. working with a lot of the same people Mm -hmm. who, I don't know, I'm going to, this is a really broad brushstroke, but possibly the values of people that you're working with are more aligned to your old values. Yeah, I'm kind of lucky now that I'm going out on your own and I've been sharing my transition with a lot of my clients. A lot of our clients know what you do yeah. and what you're about. So it, that hasn't really impacted okay. much at all, really, which has been nice and surprising. Right, because I feel like it would be surprising. Mm. I imagine if she was on the other foot and that was me, I would have some kind of defensiveness or a chip on my shoulder about the fact that I had changed so much. And, yeah, it may not be in keeping with who I used to be, but it doesn't mean I'm, I'm not able to do my job or whatever. So that's interesting. And do you find that people are on board with the, the way that you've shifted to live and work or are people envious or are people like... I don't know. And, and I... Or you don't care. I don't really care. Yeah. I think when I... If I was still working for a company or not doing my own thing, I would be a lot more reserved about how I'm living <laughs> my life and 
I don't think I, when I was working in-house, did I ever talk to anyone really about slow and mm. slow living. It was so against that environment. Yeah, so, so it goes I, against I culture. Never, I would, so I would never want to put myself out there that would somehow jeopardise future career growth and how people perceived me. Because, again, back then that was my single mm. objective was to just get on that hamster wheel and go hard. Do you think that it would be possible to be living a slower, I mean, work hours and situation aside, like to have embraced a slower lifestyle while still being employed in the corporate? Well, I feel like a bit of a coward for not doing it back then. But, I I mean, I've got to give myself a bit of leeway because I was still on that journey back then. I I don't think I fully had adopted it. So... But I do, I do feel a little bit like I don't think I ever spoke to people about. Um, uh, um, I think I spoke to my leader once about your postnatal depression because mm. I had to get leave for something. But I never had that conversation, so mm. I I was never really one to share my personal life at at work, and I know why because it, I was putting up this shell. I was a I was trying to protect my personal life. And I thought it was so different to my career. Mm. I mean, I remember you saying on numerous occasions, you talk differently at work. (laughs) And it shocked me at first. I was like, no, I don't. But I did. The way I spoke to people and the way I behaved was different to the real me. That's why I've I've read a few pieces over the years uh, kind of calling out that particular issue with the idea of work-life balance. Because, and and the argument goes, if you put a line in the sand, work is one side, life is the other, what you find is that people will behave in a certain way. And I'm not talking about you. You, mm. you just had a different way of speaking more than anything. But people, no, I reckon I behave differently. Do, well, I never saw yeah. you really, yeah. you know, in that arena. I only ever heard you on phone calls. Mm. People will make choices or behave in a certain way in, at work that does not correlate with their personal values, but because there is this line in the sand that society has created with the whole work-life balance thing, somehow that's okay. Like it's okay to act in a particular way, even if it goes against your personal values in work because it's a different thing, I'm a different person. And I wonder whether this idea of work-life balance not only is detrimental to us because it's complete myth there is no way that you can find balance Mm -hmm. i'm not a big fan of the idea of daily balance long-term balance sure but not daily but also if that's the other detrimental point that people have separate selves work self life self and how is that healthy to do no well it depends i guess you know if maybe if you work in in a line of work where there's a lot of trauma and emotional yeah. stuff. Like, you know, you have to separate yourself, don't well, you? Yeah. Otherwise you start hurting. Compartmentalize, yeah. sure. But what about, you know, figuring out a way of keeping our personal values across all areas of life, even if you have to have coping mechanisms or strategies like compartmentalizing a traumatic experience or, mm. you know, leaving work at work when you leave the office. Mm. So you had a few years of crossover, though, Yeah. when you had absolutely adopted a slower pace of life, yeah. at least internally, and you were still working corporate. Mm. How did you start to infiltrate slow into your work day, if, it, if you could? Yeah. 
Um, sure. There were simple things like not eating my lunch at my desk mm. was was massive and not working. Not working on transport, so that included the train, the one-and-a-half-hour train commute that I used to do each way. They were the two huge things. The other things, and I think I was always pretty good at this, but I think I got even better at that point of time, was not bringing work home with yeah. me unless it was like an emergency where I had to work for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I think they are the big three things that shifted and that I could shift straight away. I remember doing a lot of meditation on the train and I remember doing just doing a lot of self-help book reading and mm-hmm. writing at that time. Was there any one particular book or idea or exercise that... Destination Simple was pretty good. <laughs> to use heads, Headspace mm-hmm. uh, for, for meditation and, yeah, there's nothing that particularly stood out, but I think it was just catching up on all the research that you'd have done. So Yeah, but I just Leave I loved about that. Her and reading a lot of, like, the minimalist guys. Yeah, but yeah. that's when you started, you know, coming to yoga class with yeah. me and, uh, you know, we'd do yoga for two hours a week at the gym and just that that that, that to me really reflected a big shift and you started playing guitar again. Yeah. Which I think was again a big shift because as you said you didn't have hobbies, you know. No. And my hobby was that, like drinking beer in front of the TV. That's at right. Night that's to what try I was gonna and say. Relax. And man, it's just so like I just remember that time. Like I remember Friday nights where I just just wipe myself out mm. to try and like just have a, a gap between work and then family because then on the weekends I'd be family. Full on family. Like I yeah. would want to spend as much time with my kids as possible, which is hard when you've got a raging hangover. But, mm. yeah, like I just wipe myself out on Friday nights, like that that traditional broken thing that you do as an Australian male and get blind mm. uh, and binge drink on a Friday night. And, man, it was just so unhealthy. At some point, was there a moment where you looked forward? You already said there was. but And, and realised that if I continue to do what I'm doing, I will get exactly where I think I'm going to hit. Like I, rem- I, remember, I remember that exact moment. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on the train and people have, I remember, it's like lemmings. People got on the same carriage, sat in the same seats and... I just saw my life, like, that's what I was like, this is you in 20, 30 years. Did you write yourself a letter at some point? It was part of, like, a work. Oh, yeah, that was. A work. Yeah, that was a little while yeah. before that. Right. Not much before that. But, yeah, that was that was the only intentional thing that I did, and it was some HR thing, and I kept the letter. You did. You about, found it just before we moved. You know, it was a letter to myself five years from that point in time. And I did have I did have the dream of running my own business and I don't know. There was something else, though, that went totally. I was like owning a Porsche or something yeah, as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I hadn't fully got on no. board <laughs> at that stage. Uh, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Ben. It's been so lovely, Brooke. <laughs> we should do this again. We should. We should do this again next week. <laughs> uh, I, You know, I do hope, though, that that, that kind of give, gives more of a sense of some of what went into the shifts Mm. because it has been a process and continues to be and probably always will be a process. But like I said, I don't know about you, but I'm glad of that. 
it took me a while to get used to the fact that living at the edge of your comfort zone is not going to be comfortable, but that's mm. where you expand. That's where you grow. That's where you learn and change. And all of the discomfort that we have gone through and all of the pushing through and, and easing off and having deep conversations and letting them go has got us to where we are now and will continue to get us to wherever we end up going, which I'm really fascinated to see what that will look like. Me too. Fascinated. And can I just say, did you think that I would change? Like that moment, did you think that I'd hop on the train or did you think mm. that I'd be left at the station? Did you see it as black and white as that? Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, I didn't know. Mm. I really didn't know. And I didn't know what that would mean mm. for us, mm. truly. Because mm. there was a while there, a six-month period where it was, it was heading that way. Pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, which... I'm glad you did. I know. I'm Sorry. really glad you I'm did. I'm reverting back because I just remember, that, yeah, that that time, and just wanted to, yeah. Who, I mean, how would you know what I would do? But I'm really glad I I did. And it's funny. I I don't think I would have unless I had that panic attack. Mm. So it's not until you go through some form of trauma like that, and it could be a like really small, not trauma like big T trauma, but a catalyst, just something. It can be like going through depression. It yeah. can be having a panic attack, one too many, you know, or as simple as there's just a light bulb moment mm. in your life when you're having a cup of tea in the morning. But I do think there is always a point in time that you can go back to and say, yeah, that was the beginning of the change. And I think that's reflected in a lot of conversations you have with your guests. Yeah, it's it's a rare person. And who, it's the best question too. Yeah, it's a rare person who doesn't arrive at a newer new mm. kind of point of view from a moment of realization usually sparked by some kind of crisis yeah. big or little yeah. health you know relationship financial whatever but it is unusual for someone to just gradually make that shift and i think the thing that goes uncelebrated in that is that yes people have a catalyst but the reason you can look back and see it as a catalyst is because you were reflecting. You had self-reflection. You yeah. were aware enough to realize it. I mean, mm. I could look back to a time when I was 19 or 20 or 21 and that things that happened in that period in life could have been my catalyst, but I wasn't, I wasn't reflective. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't self-aware enough. So I think that people who feel like they hit that rock bottom point and use it as a, an eventual springboard to a different way of doing things need to pat themselves on the back because the only reason you realize it is because you're mm -hmm. paying attention yeah which is hard it's it's hard and i think that the amount of self-reflection that you have done over the past few years has been phenomenal particularly mm. starting from kind of like a like a base level of of nothing it's not something you'd considered before yeah so like a lot of our guests i want to thank you brooke Thank you for, yeah, being that lighthouse and uh, steering us in the right direction, our family. It's been huge. Thank you.
I interview you. Me? You. Excellent. Hope you're ready. I'm looking forward to it. Got the hairy ones. Let's go. Questions. <laughs> I love that you're nervous. <laughs> I really genuinely love that you're nervous. Oh, it's okay. This is going to be fun. 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 Keep telling yourself that. Yeah.